Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Today we have a conversation with a friend, Ed Rosa. That's me. Hi. My filmmaking partner and I have a YouTube channel, Toothless Richard Productions, where you can see a number of our short films. For this conversation, we've agreed to talk about Beau Travail. For myself, I have had this filmmaker, Claire Denis, on my must-see list for some time. I know her global reputation. She's a big deal, now deep in her 70s, been making movies for decades. We can recite her bona fides and go through her biography, but the point is she's a real mover and shaker in the art house world that I periodically dip into. I've only seen a handful of her movies, and those that I have seen are difficult movies. Right. And they push me back on heel to reflect upon my assumptions and my requirements of cinematic entertainment and of art. Noting that the pair of us had not seen this movie before was a good opportunity to watch it. That's how I approach this movie to begin with. How about you? I spent 75% of the film going like, this is the same person that made Dune and Blade Runner? And then I looked, I'm like, oh no, I, I'm getting, I'm, I'm conflating, uh, I'm making like a portmanteau of two Denis. It's like one <laughs> of those... Claire Denis uh, Villeneuve. Right, well, right, right, exactly. It's one of those, like that password game yeah. or whatever, where yeah, you, gotta, you get that, right? Um, uh, but, uh, so I realized uh, that I have actually not seen any of her films, purely by accident, and so this is, this is my introduction to her, although obviously it's a name I knew. Uh, was it Chocolat? Uh, she, was a big she deal, made, which, right. which I, yeah, I remember that was broke a, a lot big, of ground and made her reputation. Big deal here. So, um, but it, it's interesting. Um, what like Chantal Ackerman and um, Catherine Brayot, right? right. Or, I think they would be rough contemporaries. And they and they also kind of I think tend to do a similar thing that like you just described, where they. I don't want to be, you know, glib and say, you know, subvert expectations. Well, let, let me jump they, in and say, you mentioned that while you're aware of this woman's name and her reputation, you haven't dipped into it, though I know you're a person who grazes widely into movies, mm-hmm. and it's partly because not really a one of her titles has any, had any kind of broad release. So to have a flavor of interest in the obscure is noble, but it's hard to access. Yeah. And and that's just, that's a full point. It's hard to access. I'll, I'll put real brackets on that. In my research for this movie, you know that I like to know when things debut and when they show up in our home market in the United States. I know that this movie was a Venice Film Festival showcase in September of 99, and then it was released in the United States on two screens beginning at the very end of March 2000. It remained in release in the United States for nine months. Were those two screens both in New York or were they in Los Angeles? I think they were both in New York. And I think it it blew up. To something like 10 or 12 screens Ooh. at its peak. But if you didn't happen to be in the right city, who cares? You, yeah. you would never have seen it. Right. I know that I read about it in a magazine called Time Out New York, which I subscribed to when I lived in New York City, and sort of grazed around the edges of, this is something I could go see. Mm. But I know that approximately the time this movie came out, it overlapped with other things that I know I saw with greater preference. Like the weekend it was released, I went to go see High Fidelity. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that was a more date-appropriate movie for me and the young miss because we were newlyweds. And later in the season, I watched American Psycho, and then I watched Gladiator in May. But all of those movies were in release, and so was this one. Mm -hmm. My point is, 
This is not an easy movie to find, and even now in the streaming world of libraries that seemingly are open, if you just have the right subscription service, it's still not that easy to find because it's behind the paywall of a Criterion Collection or else you have to buy a copy or whatever. It's not easy to find. So let me go down a ways and describe a few things that I feel about this movie given this now lengthy introduction we've provided. (laughs) This is the story of the French Foreign Legion centered on a sergeant, Galoup, played by uh, Dennis Levant. He's ramrod straight. He's a perfect legionnaire. He is uh, lauded for that capacity by his superior officer, a guy named Forestier, and that's Michel Subor. And into the midst of these two commanders is a younger legionnaire, Gilles Serdan, played by Grégoire Colin. He is a Russian emigre who has joined the Foreign Legion, presumably to one day get French citizenship. So a sidebar. I had to go look up what the French Foreign Legion is all about. If it's not Pepe Le Pew... <laughs> yeah, what, no. What is it really? I, I kept this. It's funny, actually. Well, because one of the things I was going to say is I was like, ah, oh, they're those French Foreign Legion hats I was taught that they all wear by the Looney Tunes. That's right. When they finally show up, I was like, where are the hats? And then, like, uh, you know, 15 minutes in, then they've got the hats. Like, okay. And it's a public relations coup for a colonial power, and France is a colonial power, and it needs public relations coups wherever it can find them. The big thing that the Legionnaires offer is non-French people in territories that France controls or is otherwise trying to police can one day get citizenship with enough service in the Legion. I think it's three years. Mm. Or if they're injured in service, they're automatically gained citizenship if they wish to take it. So it's clearly an on-ramp for immigrants. And the movie is mostly set in Djibouti, which, as I understand it, was and maybe still is a French colony of sorts, or at least of cultural influence, where this squad of Legionnaires are in service doing drills, being soldiers, and they're lorded over by this Galoup, who is lorded over by this Forestier, and there's this outsider, who's not unusual, Santan, who's this Russian learning the French language. So that's the setup. Mm. The framing device for the movies, we're looking at Galoup in Marseille, where he lives, and he's not in his uniform, he's out of service, and he's kind of bumming around a bachelor pad, not knowing what to do with his time. Right. So we gradually learn the movie is about why it is that he's in Marseille and not in Djibouti, and we learn certain events in Djibouti. Bottom line, he took exception to this new guy, Santen, and made a target of the younger man, of the upstart, for reasons which are not ever perfectly clear, but in the end attempts to kill him. The other legionnaires turn on him. He's sent back to the home country, so to Marseille, to enjoy enjoy a court-martial, and the movie roughly ends with the idea that he's probably committed suicide. Right. That's a lengthier statement than I wish to say, <laughs> but we're looking at the French Foreign Legion through the eyes of a guy in mid-career who has problems with an underling, does something terrible, and pays a consequence. Boom! Right. Beau travail. Now that that's all out, minutes into our conversation, <laughs> I knew going in this was going to be a art movie. It was going to have that the scare quotes and everything. It was mm-hmm. going to be distinct from commercial entertainment. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I was trying to recognize that Garrett has private emotional reactions. So this pedestal belongs to art, and this pedestal belongs to entertainment, and I've got to sort of keep my feet on both of these pillars to right. offer a proper analysis of this movie. While I can move back and forth, the simplest reaction that I've got is I respect that this is art, But it does nothing for my entertainment value. And it left me feeling like I know people dress this movie up as a terribly important, maybe one of the world's greatest pieces of cinema ever created. And while I'm willing to toe that, if I had to present this to people and that was the expectation, I don't feel it at all in my bones. The movie left me cold. Mm. With a few exceptions, we'll come back to. So that's my long-winded take on how to sort of understand this movie and what it is about. 
What are your thoughts to open things up? I'm always looking for the story. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for, like, the plot. So the whole time I'm like, I'm clearly missing something here. I must be an idiot. It's a vibe, as the kids today, you know, (laughs) would say, right? (laughs) And everything was done well, um, but I, I found myself sort of both not fully comprehending like what she was going for uh and then also kind of maybe if i am getting it like maybe not exactly like agreeing with it this is a woman filmmaker and much of her work through the course of the decades of her work spends time meditating on what men do Mm -hmm. and men's bodies and increasingly across time she joined sort of that that uh it wasn't a formal movement exactly people were getting in a conference room let's do this thing but an exploration of appetite and how that can be expressed, whether through violence or consumption of food and drink or through sex. Mm. And sometimes exploring those kinds of appetites and that kind of need in very aesthetically beautiful ways, but things that can be quite ugly. Interpersonal violence that's also sexually powerful, one person dominating another. Or uh, she made a movie called Trouble Every Day, which Mm. is a kind of a vampire movie, and the predation of the vampires is very bloody and gross and rapey, but then it's also super kind of hot and sexy mm. all at the same time. So it's like uh, Blood for Dracula by Paul Morrissey. It's, it's got these, this tonal thing where you know that yeah. that should be kind of repulsive, but it's executed sort of strangely and well, and I'm, and I'm kind of bothered in a, an exciting way. Right. So I perk up and pay attention. Right. This movie, through that perspective of the female eye, and I know that a lot of commentators have judged her work as being an adjustment of the classic patriarchal male eye that we know about, through her lens, through her craft, through her cinematographer, also a woman, a longtime collaborator. All of that's true because she is looking at these young men's bodies. They're all beautiful. They're at peak physical grace, power. We watch them exercising. We watch them training. We watch them doing their laundry. Mm -hmm. We watch them ironing their clothes. All of these things that are important to being the certain kind of soldier that the Legion demands of these young men. Now, I got no problem with that, and I understand how objectification works, and I dig fetishization. I know about pornography. Sure, we all do it. Yeah, I I get that this movie kind of dives into some of those appetites, but doesn't do it in the same exploitative way that maybe I'm used to. Mm. Then the fact is, this is also a very queered text, Mm. because it's looking at dudes with a loving eye that really explores the grace of their anatomy as they do things, sometimes disembodied from the ground. There are stunts that they do hopping over obstacles, and we, we watch them fall out of frame. Mm. Over and over, the, the group of them do this little stunt. So it's like watching gymnasts. It's like watching Winnie Riefenstahl right. doing yeah. her Olympia. That's, that's strongly how I felt much of this movie is portrayed. And mm. that movie was overtly about an Aryan aesthetic of celebrating the male white body right. in accord with Hitler's regime and his whole machinery. This movie's not doing the same thing because this is a mixed-race, mixed-ethnic group mm. of men, but it's very much the same aesthetic. Quite beautiful. Mm. And then you're sort of lost in the rhythms of that. It becomes dance-like, yeah. trance-like, yeah. because the quality of repetition and the kind of pointlessness mm-hmm. of it. But the ramble, what I'm driving at, finally... This is a woman-centered text by a woman, for a woman, made by women that describes men as the object of study. And the men seem to be harboring really deep homosocial, if not overtly homosexual, needs and tendencies in their little, small little military squad. Mm. And what, to me, makes Galoop take exception to this young Russian is that he desires him sexually. 
but can't otherwise express that except through ritual male dominance. And in a military system, that's pretty easy. Drill harder. Drill harder. Yeah. Drill harder. You get me? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that kind of the same thing from like reflections of a golden eye? Yes. Yes. That's a good, that's a good intertext. Right. Yeah. Because you, you can't break face with what masculinity is supposed to be all about. You know, the steadfast strength of domination and self-control and unpitying, unflinching, conditioned body able to do soldier's work. Mm. But it's also done in this environment of, of it's a bunch of dudes working in extremely close quarters, depending on one another, yeah. dueling with one another. There's certain sequences in this where they're wrestling or slapping one another to, <laughs> to build up a resistance and a self-control to withstand that kind of punishment. I recall doing that when I tried out for football. I couldn't stand it. Right. <laughs> it, it, was, it, it was overwhelming to me in ways I did not like. But a certain kind of dude does gravitate yeah. to this kind of environment, both because it's about mastery of self, but I can't help but notice it's also about touching guys. Yeah. With complete permission. In fact, it's encouraged because you must... you. You must work as a unit when you're doing certain things. Yeah. One of my friends is a, he's a martial artist, and so I've ended up watching like a lot of UFC with him over the years. And it's, it's funny because the only thing stopping it from being gay porno is, is the shorts. Right. Every UFC fighter would want to beat me to a bloody pulp for, for saying, saying that. So, right. but, but And yet, I mean, I'm seeing sweaty men rolling around together. You know, and, squeezing each other. And when, when the matches are done, intimate. I mean, they're they're loving they're, each they're, other. They're and, hugging. And, and they're spent. I, for certain, read this movie in that fashion. So, again, that puts me in the art pillar of having a deep appreciation for this now more than 20 years old text that's describing squad mentality and any homosocial bonding exercise that I've ever been part of or observed in a story or read about implies codependence and the sublimation of desire into other things that the group can do and that is esteemed by the group because that group is by its nature bound to conservative principles of how people are supposed to behave. Yeah. These dudes are pictured in this movie going to a dance club to meet some of the young Christian women we presume or the fallen Muslim women because mm. it's like a 90, 90% plus Muslim country. They're meeting them at the club yeah. so they can dance with the ladies. Yeah. And our guy Galoop, he seems to have a local girlfriend. He gives her gifts he sniffs her as she sleeps mm. in this little hideaway they've got. We don't see sexual intimacy bond mm. between them, but it is certainly implied. Yeah. And it's implied that the other fellows are also making temporary relationships with some of these women. While all of that's true, we spend most of our time with these guys drilling or getting drunk at a campfire or dancing with one another to mm. let out that steam or practice knife fighting under the water because they have to be like like Navy SEALs, prepared mm-hmm. to go on land or water and deal with themselves. We watch them disagree and have a tussle and wrestle. Yeah. We watch them punish each other. We watch them march. We watch them drill with their weaponry. In other words, we watch them learn each other's bodies and get better <laughs> at the techniques of using those bodies yeah. to become better soldiers, yes, but a more cohesive team. That's certainly important to a military unit, but that's also important to sex. Yeah. And That's I think true. the frustration at the heart of this is that Galoop, he can't express, I think, a form of desire for this young man in particular, who's as beautiful as the rest of them, but he's marked as an outsider. Right. I believe the movie's just, it's about sublimated homosexual desire that finally erupts into a form of violence, which is off screen, sort of beautifully handled because the, the young man is stranded in the middle of the desert with a broken uh, compass, and he can't find his way back to the squad. Yeah. And he ends up collapsing on a salt flat, just covered in salt, which is yeah. kind of a beautiful image. Yeah. 
Luckily for him, he's discovered by locals and he's taken to safety. But to the legionnaires, they just find his leftover broken compass. They trace it back to the sergeant. You did this. You're out. Right. Uh, and then it really, and, and then in the end, it, you know, as it is implied that you know he sort of commits suicide. I guess that reinforces it. Like, well, I'm out of the boys' club. Right. Now I'm I back, can't now be I'm with back, my friends. I'm I back can't. In a city full of women. Right. This what sucks. am I going to do with this? <laughs> this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and so, consequently, you know, the joking term for it is is the Djibouti in woman that he takes up with. Well, she's a beard. Mm. And probably that's true for more than a few legionnaires across the years. In any population, there's a certain number who, who are not bending towards heteronormative interests or needs. So I accept all that because I've known many people who know those temporary helpful relationships to mask what they're all about. So I believe this movie yeah. is celebrated in some circles for being a queer text. And it has an ambiguity to its conclusion, which some people would celebrate. How marvelous the yeah. way that it ends. I'm open to all of these things, but then let me hop off the art pillar for a second and go to entertainment. <laughs> right. I was left flat by the whole thing. Yeah. I basically feel the same way. The only original thing I, I think I can add to the overall criticism of this movie is that it is an analogy for and an object study in colonization. Because mm. it's about French colonial legionnaires who are on the, the Horn of Africa in Djibouti helping control that space and learn to be better soldiers to control other spaces like it. But that's been colonized by a woman filmmaker who otherwise have no access to this male world. Mm. And she's objectified them with another form of colonization, making them into objects of dance and sculpture. Because many times they're just still and we just observe them, look at their body and their yeah. costumes rather than doing active things. And we also watch them do active things. But then another level of colonization, it's used the eye, which is often about having this narrative precision that you and I have been trained to enjoy and indeed we do. It short-circuited that narrative eye and instead... It's made an eye of colonization because it exoticizes Djibouti. Mm -hmm. It makes this sort of radically desert landscape into something to stare at, like yeah. a really great postcard. Yeah. And all these handsome young men are stretching and running by. Isn't that marvelous? Yeah, it's almost got a blue lagoon-like quality. The way it's like, you know... That's you, not you, a bad reach. You've got the ocean, yeah. you know, so it's almost like a desert island and all these people, like, isolated and kind of, you know, with and, this romantic, you know, kind and of and subtext. And we catch lots of glimpses at periodic points of the locals who are all dark-skinned mm. Africans looking at this mixed group of light and dark-skinned legionnaires as they're doing things. And you can almost see these people going, huh, what's this all about? Mm. The afternoon's yeah. entertainment is these guys are in tank top stretching. Oh, wait, this afternoon's entertainment is running around with their shirts off. Oh, <laughs> this afternoon they're, you know, they're wearing their green berets. Yeah. What's this all about? Yeah. And so that sense of using the movie about a form of colonization to explore colonization, while it itself is colonizing how we normally perceive movies, to use the aesthetics and exoticization of an unusual place, instead of saying plot point A to Z and it's over, making that its purpose, has to teach me something. But again, Entertainment Garrett's like, it's flat. The end, let's go see Paw Patrol. <laughs> And when we get back from Paw Patrol, well, I'm sure we'll have an in-depth conversation about the queer coding of that as well. <laughs> this is Blockbusters and Birdwalks, a conversation between Garrett Chaffin-Kirai and... Ed Rosa. Boop-boopity-doo!